The following is a message from Wellsprings Congregation. Boy, it's good to be up here and seeing you all face to face again. I haven't been up here in a while. The last eight weeks, Frank Zinni, who's one of our worship leaders, and I have been leading Spark Connecting Through Our Lives with 7th through 9th graders here in the congregation. And next week, they're going to get up here and share a little bit of what they've done in that time together and thinking about their spiritual intentions for their lives. So definitely come back next week. And Frank will be up here for the first time. He's probably going to say the same thing. You guys look great. It's good to see you. So two weeks from now is my 10-year college reunion. This is what I looked like. On that day, aww, right? I know I'm not that old, but even I look at that and go, oh my gosh, I was a child. (laughs) I was 21 years old. If you had asked me then if I would be right here today, I would have had no frame of reference for what you were even talking about. Our lives take interesting twists and turns. There's not much about the last 10 years that I would have predicted, actually. But my favorite graduation day story actually has nothing to do with me. It has to do with my friend Keicha. Keicha was two years ahead of me in school. This is a picture of her on the right there. It's a little bit blurry. This is our college a cappella group, which, yes, was exactly like the movie Pitch Perfect. <laughs> exactly. So Keicha on the right there, two years ahead of me, and on the day of her graduation, I went, you know, to go see her walk across the stage in her cap and gown, and everyone was coming up to congratulate her on that day after the ceremony. Her parents were there, her professors, her classmates, all her friends, and to every single person who came up to her on her graduation day to say congratulations, she said the same thing to all of them. I have $12 in my bank account. $12. So I'm talking about graduation today because this is our book for Stories with Soul right here. Oh, the places you'll go. Sales of this book spike every spring. It's become kind of the quintessential graduation gift. And I bet a lot of you have graduations on your calendars right now. How many of you? Coming up or you've been to one recently? You may have bought this book and written a little note in the front. It has become the standard practice to give this to a graduate. And graduation day is quite a day in our lives, whether it's us graduating or someone we love. There's so much promise Right? There's so much promise on graduation day, and there's also so much fear mixed together. There's this sense of being on a cliff, on a great precipice, looking out at all the expectation to come. All of that hope for you or for your child or for the one that you love who's graduating kind of come to fruition, but then also at the same time, all of this future laid before you laid before us like a blank canvas. A little unsettling. And our book today, our Stories with Soul book, Oh, the Places You'll Go, I don't know if you've ever actually read it. If you've ever flipped through the pages, it doesn't really help 
It doesn't. It doesn't really help with that unsettled feeling. I, I find that this book gives lukewarm comfort at best to an expectant graduate. It goes back and forth, really, almost page by page, between the ups and downs of life, the good and the bad, the achievements and the setbacks, the joys and the sorrows and the frustrations. And the moral of the book seems to be that some kind of mountain is waiting for you and you're going to move it. I don't know if that sounds that fun. But we give it as a gift on these graduation days. Graduation days are rituals. They're ritualized moments of possibility where we're on this cliff looking at all those possibilities with nothing holding us back. No more tether to responsibilities that we had in the past. It's a climactic moment of triumph. We've succeeded and we've achieved according to this one system. And we're getting ready to pick up and start out on another one. Getting ready to enter the real world, as we always like to call it when we were in school. But in the meantime, the honest truth looks a little bit more like this. What are we going to do? What's next? Did anybody feel like this on their graduation day? Yeah. (sighs) I'm glad that we can laugh at it. Graduation days are in between spaces. They're in between spaces. They're a little bit stressful. They bring up our attachments. They bring up our expectations and our worries. They bring up our hopes, the things that we have our hearts set on for ourselves or for whoever that graduate in our lives might be. Now, academics, the people who shape a lot of our graduation days, they have a word for this, actually, for these in-between spaces. They call them liminal spaces, liminality. It's the moment after one thing happens, but before the next. Victor Turner is one of the leading anthropologists of religion, and he's known for coming up with this idea, this word. It's from the Latin word for threshold. He defines liminal spaces as having the quality of ambiguity or disorientation that occurs in the middle stage of rituals when participants no longer hold their pre-ritual status but have not yet begun the transition to the status they will hold when the ritual is complete. Ugh. Sounds kind of awful, right? Where's the ground? Where's the ground? Where's the solidness? Where's that clear sense of identity or security in these spaces? I am in a huge liminal space right now. As some of you know, I was approved for ordination as a minister last month by our denomination. And the ceremony to ordain me will happen here at Wellsprings sometime this fall, which is torture. (laughs) torture in between. I've been joking with Ken and with some of our leaders that if it were were possible for me to do a quickie ordination in Vegas, I would probably do that. (laughs) Right? I crave it. I crave that ground. 
I crave that stability of the rev in front of my name. These spaces of transition are hard, especially when we have our hearts set on an outcome. When we think we know what the good or what the truth or what the love will look like in this situation. We get lost and we want to engineer being found. Now, obviously, this is not just about graduation from school. We all have these spaces of promise and change. We all have these graduation day kinds of moments in our lives. The places where we feel like we're on the threshold of something new. There's a poem by the Syrian-American writer Moja Kaf. It's called Letter to My Prodigal Brother. It's a really beautiful poem, and it talks about how hard it is. The author is talking about how hard it is for her to watch someone she loves, her brother, get lost and try to find his way. And at the same time, how proud she is of him. How proud she is of him for being willing to explore, in this case, the boundaries of his faith and his identity as a Muslim American. I'm going to read you a little bit from the poem. She says, Stay inside the four walls of religion, they told us. Obey, obey, obey. Obey what? My body catching this wind is obeying the pulse of the breathtaking divine. You, canoeing those rapids, are breaking into the spray of larger, unseen waves. All this being lost has much more truth in it than the pocket watch faith of believers who stay on dry ground, never wetting the hem of their piety. How is it faith if they never jump off the ledge of the familiar? Her poem ends with this line. Little brother, here's the one thing I know. Our only outside chance at the sacred comes from being astray. Our only outside chance at the sacred comes from being astray. Things are always changing. Graduation days are holding spaces for that. Threshold times when we acknowledge the constant potential for great fear and great promise that is always here, that's always around us. With apologies to Victor Turner, I have my own anthropological theory of religion about these moments. And I think that we create rituals around them because they're too intense. It's too intense for us to live in these spaces all of the time. These are the spaces of awakening. They are accessible to us in every moment, but impossible to sustain that kind of loving attention forever. We're just not made for it. We're not made to be awake to the beauty and the terror all around us in every moment. 
Yet, somehow, when we can awake, when we can catch that glimpse of impermanent reality, that is so often where we find the sacred. And we recognize it most often by the deafeningness in those moments of the call of love. So painful and ecstatic at the same time. That deafening call of love that comes to us as we watch our baby walk across the stage at graduation. That feeling. Or as we stand at the end of the aisle, looking into the eyes of the one we cherish. Or as we toss the rose onto the casket as it lowers into the ground. These deafening moments where there's nothing present but that call of love. It's in these moments that we can find and refine our connection to the sacred. That just when the ground around us, that ground seems shakiest, we learn how to trust and devote ourselves to the deeper ground of love. One of my favorite movies of all time, might surprise you, came out before I was born, The Graduate with Dustin Hoffman. So this love runs deep for me, actually, beyond just the movie itself. See, when I was in college, it was actually a tradition. Where I went to school at Swarthmore College, not too far from here, every fall semester, the night before the first day of classes, they would show The Graduate on a big inflatable screen outside if the weather was nice, or inside the cinema if it wasn't. And the whole school came out to watch The Graduate every fall, some night in September. If you've ever been to a showing of the Rocky Horror Picture Show in a theater, (laughs) yeah, you see where I'm going. So we had all these rituals. Because this had happened for decades, they'd done this. And so there were all these moments when everybody cheered and everybody sang along at all the different songs from the beautiful Simon and Garfunkel soundtrack to that movie. There were all these times when people would clap or yell something out when uh, Dustin Hoffman's character, Benjamin Braddock, is at his graduation party and one of his dad's friends pulls him aside and gives him his great career advice. Plastics. (laughs) Yeah, that was a big cheer moment for us. So it was a fun tradition. But by the time I got to my senior year, by the time I was watching that movie, getting ready and preparing for my own graduation day, I realized that it was really a story about how Benjamin Braddock navigates that stress. How he navigates that stress of being lost and groundless. He sees on his own graduation day that this life that's laid out ahead of him feels like some kind of game. Some kind of game with made-up rules that he doesn't want to play. Rules that he doesn't want to buy into. He's worried about his future, and he wants it to be different. He doesn't navigate his stress terribly well. (laughs) First, he gets roped into a relationship with a much older woman as really an escape 
from his struggle. And then he invents this huge romantic drama for himself, almost out of whole cloth. The final culminating scene of this movie shows him here, right here, at the wedding of Elaine, crashing it quite spectacularly. He has a fist fight with the father of the bride. He pulls a cross off the wall to fight back all of the angry wedding guests. And then he shoves the cross in the door so they can't get out. And then he and Elaine run triumphantly off with her in her wedding gown, and they catch a city bus. They run to the back of the bus. Everybody's staring at them, wondering what the heck is going on here. And they sit down, and they're laughing. And then the reason I love this movie the best part of this movie for me is that the last 30 seconds of that film, we just watch them. We watch their faces as they fall. Look at this. That's the closing scene of that movie. The reality has sunk in. Remember that baby? What the heck am I going to do now? All of that drama and excitement pops like little bubbles drained out in a bathtub. And they're sitting there thinking, now what? Now what? You know, the lesson that I've always taken from Ben Braddock in The Graduate isn't that it's wrong to stray outside the lines. I don't think that's the lesson. It's not that it's wrong to stray outside of the lines. It's that it matters what we follow when we do. Do we listen to the call of fear? Do we listen to the threat of shame? Do we follow the beat of the drums of expectation? Do we get pulled along by the hook of attachment? Or do we imagine that what the Tibetan Buddhist teacher Chogyam Trumpa said could be true? The bad news is you're falling through the air. Nothing to hang on to. No parachute. The good news is there is no ground. The good news is there is no ground. No ground to hit. We are loved. And no matter what happens, we can always come back to that call of love. One of our core beliefs here at Wellsprings says that each of us yearns for connection with each other and with the sacred. Mindful of the choices we make, we know that our freedom reaches It's fulfillment in connection with others. As terrifying as our freedom can be, it is also the greatest grace that we know. Because when we get lost and when we are astray, we have a chance in those moments to remember that there's nothing more good and true to listen to than that call of love. That our sense of freedom in being lost is actually 
where our redemption can come from. That it's the ground of all renewal and all refreshing. It's the possibility in any moment to reform back towards our true selves, which according to our universalist faith are always good, are whole. Nothing else needed to augment them. Ready to receive and to share in the love that is already here. Ted Geisel, Dr. Seuss, he published Oh, the Places You'll Go just a year before his death. He was looking back on his whole life. I can't help but wonder if he was trying to tell us that he was looking back with gratitude on all that back and forth. All the ups and the downs, the backs and the forests, the topsies, turvies, wopsy, worvy, whatever Dr. Seuss would say. All that sense of never really being fully settled. You remember my friend Keisha with the $12? She was a theater major, so it was even worse than you thought. (laughs) And she wanted to be a poet. Yeah, it keeps getting better, I know. She didn't have any money, so... She moved to Montana and then to Idaho for a while. I lost touch with her for a while, but I knew her girlfriend, Sarah. And so I heard a little bit now and then about what she was up to. She and Sarah were on and off. They broke up for a little while. But a few years ago, they got back together. Over time, Keisha had come out to her family and the people who loved her. She and Sarah have a beautiful little girl today named Nella, who just turned two. This right here is the cover of Kate's first book of poetry. This is her second. Our only outside chance at the sacred comes from being astray. This is what our lives are like. And what a joy it is over and over again to experience the bliss of falling back into the arms of belonging after we are lost. Be freshly known and fully beloved anew. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit of all that is, great understanding, great love, mystery greater than we can imagine, which holds our entire lives. May we learn to listen to the call of our hearts. May we remember that even if we fail, We will have failed 
in truth, with love for ourselves and for those to whom we are devoted. May we find the courage and the care within and amongst each other and with you, knowing that we are enough, however we move through this life. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.